Hello, and welcome to another episode of Balanced Body Radio. I'm your host, Casey Ruff, and no offense to any of our former guests who have all been amazing, but I'm about to introduce my favorite guest ever on the show. Bethany Ruff is the co-founder and co-owner of Boundless Body LLC, a health and wellness company that began during the 2020 COVID pandemic. Bethany's purpose in life is helping people move themselves out of pain and into their most optimally functioning body. Her entrance into the field of human movement began as an ex-science major at the University of Minnesota Duluth. From there, her passion for corrective exercise and rehabilitation grew into something she could have never imagined. During her time in the fitness industry, she has expanded her knowledge base and capacity to serve others by earning specialty certifications. These include a comprehensive Pilates instructor course through Peak Pilates, advanced certifications in structural integration through the Rossiter system, as well as corrective exercise specialist and performance enhancement specialist certifications through the National Academy of Sports Medicine. Her precisely tuned eye for movement, posture, and alignment in the human body, coupled by her passion for helping people heal, makes her a powerhouse. With a constant thirst for learning, she works tirelessly to find the underlying roots of pain and dysfunction, and integrates a tailored approach to a more optimally functioning body. She lives in South Jordan, Utah, with her husband, me, their two dogs, Rex and Tucker, and their cat, Lily. Bethany Ruff, what an absolute honor it is to welcome you to your show, Boundless Body Radio. If you could just do that every time I walk into a room, I kind of feel awesome. (laughs) It's a long introduction, but it's very well earned. I'm so excited to chat with you today. It's funny, like even between a married couple, we kind of have like different expectations of things. And I just commented a few days ago when we hit our uh, two-year anniversary of doing this podcast that I kind of imagined that both of us would be doing this more together than anything. And you said like, I never really had that intention, which was a little bit of a surprise to me. I just think it's funny, like even within, you know, the two of us and our relationship, and how much we communicate, we can still get a lot of things wrong. And full disclosure, we're doing this podcast outside because it's October and it's still absolutely beautiful and he could not drag me inside. So apologies if you hear a random dog or wind. (laughs) Yeah, this is a first ever. This is pretty nice. I could get used to this. There might be some wind or some dogs. Um, Our dogs have made the podcast several times, but this is the first time our cat Lily might actually make the podcast as she lives outside in our front yard. So... I do want to talk a little bit about you being out in the sunshine so much. Tell me why you prioritize getting sunlight. I mean, science aside, it feels so good and recharging. It's like plugging me into an outlet and just the fresh air and being able to ground myself in nature. My favorite thing to do as soon as I'm done taking clients is to take my socks off and walk barefoot outside and just kind of connect with the ground. It just, it feels like it's, rebooting or re-recalibrating my whole system. Can't get enough. Yeah, that's great. And it's almost your birthday in the middle of October and we're sitting out here and it's 70 degrees in Salt Lake City. It's really amazing. Mother Nature has not gotten the hang of it yet and I'm I'm here for it. (laughs) That's awesome. I want to talk specifically to you today about a, a very recent and amazing experience that you had. And to be able to properly tee this up, I do want to say, I feel like both of us live a pretty minimalist life and we don't have a ton of possessions. We don't have lots of things hanging on our walls. And in the space that we created downstairs to train our clients, there are very few things that are actually on the wall. And some of those things are something that's very special to you, which are posters of anatomy trains. Can you tell us a little bit about your interest in the human body and your interest specifically in anatomy trains and what they are? So my background studying exercise science in college, you know, I'm probably referring to a very similar, if not the same anatomy textbook that most people have seen. And they're these fixed still images of 
the human body and the way that muscle and bone attach via tendons and ligaments. And we have organs inside and it's just this nice, pretty still picture. And in starting to work with the body and working with people in real life and seeing them in motion, it really opened my eyes to the fact that we are not that fixed and there, there just there were gaps. There were things that I didn't understand and that just didn't connect with me. And it wasn't until finding anatomy trains, and I really, to be honest, can't even remember what sparked my interest or how I discovered Tom Myers and his work, but it was light bulb moment after light bulb moment. And finally, I, I started to get the understanding that there's this big organ sheath function mechanism of the body that's being forgotten about or not talked about or not seen. And this is fascia. And so the anatomy trains allude to different ways in which we connect one inside tissue to another inside tissue. And it's this where the fluidity meets the fiber and it's, it's responsible for literally everything that we can do, every function, every message, every, every action potential, every bit of communication has to go through this network. And it wasn't until seeing that and then starting to feel that through Rossiter that it really connected. No pun intended. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about the Rossiter system. You and I talked about this before when we've interviewed Richard Rossiter, but for the listener who might not be familiar with it, can you tell us a little bit about the Rossiter system itself? Yeah, so it's, I like to qualify it as manual therapy, structural integration, or spatial medicine. And so it's, I'm using my foot as the tool, whereas the massage therapist or chiropractor um, would be using their hands. And it's a two-person pin and stretch. So it's very deep, very powerful. We are using, we're all interconnected. So in a very, very simple term, we're one big figure eight, if you can picture it. And so if you pull on something, it's going to have a reciprocal inhibition on something else. So by creating pressure into that fascial system and then coaching the person through movement, we are effectively pulling against the pressure that I'm applying. And the fascia has so many different elements, including elastic recoil and glide. And so the way that I'm using one ridge of my foot or part of my foot against your tissue as I coach you through stretches feels entirely different. But when someone's coming to see me, they're usually coming to address pain. And what's kind of a, a, a counterintuitive piece of Rossiter is we're hunting out the most painful area because that's, that's the body's only way of communicating with us from the inside out of, hey, there's something here. Hey, please pay attention to me. And so we lean into it as much as the person can. And so, you know, the person that's coming in to receive the work is actually the one in charge, as they should be, because it's their pain, their body, their nervous system pain is subjective. I can feel a knot. I can feel adhered tissue with my, with my body, but I can't feel what's painful with you. So I rely on your communication really heavily. Um, there's walking that happens between techniques to integrate the entire system as, as if you were to throw a dress shirt in the dryer and not hang it up, it would stay wrinkled. So we want the system to understand what we've intervened, what we've, we've changed in length or glide or tensegrity and then we make it a full body global movement so that it, it solidifies and finds its new place. That's a really great answer. And I kind of think about the difference between some of your work and the work of like a massage therapist or a chiropractor as being very different. Is it because the person who is being worked on is in charge of the techniques that are being, ha that are being applied? That and 
change happens through movement and movement heals. That's a Joseph Pilates quote. And so you need pressure, you need breath, you need movement. And that's how change takes place. But think about when you have pain, you're vulnerable. If we were out in the wild and, you know, you had injured yourself, you're not going to be going and leading the hunt because you are very vulnerable to whatever it is that you're trying to hunt. And so when we're dealing with pain, whether it be emotional, physical, mental, it doesn't have to be somatic. We guard that as we should because the body knows, well, we can't just ignore this. And if we ignore it, it's probably going to continue to get worse. It's probably going to snowball out to become something larger and more unmanageable. That's harder to, to track back. So we protect it. And when something's happening to you and you aren't in control of this situation or your body, the only thing that you really have control over, there's a lack of trust is what I feel. And there's no way we can ever really confirm that with science. It's a nervous system thing. So when you're getting snapped, cracked, you know, when your body is just being moved around by someone else, it's going to guard to some extent. So, you know, from my personal experience, not that one body work is better than another body work. Everything has its place in this field, but ultimately it's, we have to, it has to be the body that's in pain that does the deciding of the pressure, of the intensity, of the duration. It, that's that's ultimately what's going to make the biggest change. Otherwise, we're going to protect. Mm. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. And I, I think about those things the same way. Like, they're all just different tools. Somebody might need a different tool for a different situation. A hammer is not the best tool for everything that you need to do to fix a house, for example. But um, I, I sure have seen a lot of very, um, I would say, Gosh, almost like magical transformations with people. What's one kind of transformation that's fresh in your head that you want to talk about? Oh, I have so many. I have so many. And I think the best sessions happen when someone shows up and and they have dealt with not being themselves for so long and not feeling like they have any ownership over the physical body that they're living in. And it shuts them off to literally every experience in life, even who they are. And so it's, it's those people that are usually very highly motivated to get out of pain. And so they usually are very communicative, give me great feedback, give me a lot to work with because one title I've absolutely always hated to be called is a healer. To me, that puts a lot of like ego and pressure and responsibility on me, but it's you, it's your body. I'm just here to facilitate and help and use my, you know, very specific knowledge to, address what area we may need to start with or move to based on your responses, but I can't do it without you. So it's hard for me to say one specific thing because I think of so many bodies that have allowed me in and allowed me to meet them where they're at so that they can heal themselves. Hmm. Yeah, no, I really appreciate that. And again, having watched you do that work all the time, I kind of understand that process a little bit better where I think it's a little bit mystical for people to hear about it and try to understand what's going on, especially when, you know, we're talking about myofascial tissue and and how the body works as a system rather than just isolated parts. Somebody might come in with a right shoulder that's in pain and I'll see you working on their left hip 
and understanding that, yeah, you are creating space in a certain area of the body that will then allow other parts of the body to open up and be able to move better. I, again, I think it's a little bit surprising for most people to really kind of realize and understand that just because you're expressing pain in a certain area of the body, that doesn't necessarily mean that's where the issues are coming from. Most of the time, they're not. And to drop another brilliant mind quote here, Ida Rolf says, where you think it is, it ain't. And that's, I, I, if I'm being honest, like 99% of what I've dealt with in my Rossiter career is pain is manifesting somewhere, but it's the victim that does the crying out, never the criminal. The criminal is usually hiding somewhere else. And the longer we let pain go, like I mentioned earlier, the more it's going to snowball out and become a more confusing, harder to trace back situation because we didn't listen and we only have so much inner slack to give and it's, it's going to start to come from somewhere. It's going to start to seep into affecting other systems of the body. Maybe it starts physical. And then maybe you start to notice that you are not sleeping as well. And then your recovery and remodeling of tissue can't happen because you're not getting that kind of re restart or reboot overnight. And then we start to notice that we aren't processing f- foods the right way. You know, so it can just kind of, it manifests very differently for everyone, but you know, when all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Mm. So I, again, I think seeking out whatever therapy, whatever movement is not painful or allows you some ability to move without pain is what you should lean into. But, but ultimately just kind of starting somewhere because that shoulder will become a hip. It will become a knee. It will translate to the foot and, and we have to pay attention. The body is the one irreplaceable thing that we have in life. And we tend to treat it like we would treat our iPhone or something that we could just rebuy. And that's one of the saddest things to me. Yeah, it really is. We just hosted uh, Tro and Rosette Collagen. And Dr. Tro said, like, we treat our cars way better than we treat our bodies. It's not even the same thing. And yet we could replace our car relatively easily, um, (laughs) not necessarily our bodies. And I want to make a comment on that because Tom Myers in this last uh, five days said something that I wrote down on day one that I thought was just brilliant. That we aren't put together in the embryo part by part the way a car is put together in a factory So we can't reverse engineer that in that way. We are one fluid system that grew out of seed, like a tree laying down its roots into the earth and then growing its branches up to the sky. We are, we are rooted within ourselves from the very beginning. And so kind of what I mentioned at the beginning, unlearning or reframing the way that I came to understand the way we were put together and thus the way we move is not mechanical it's not part by part it's not system by system or muscle to bone it's so much more magnificent than that wow no i absolutely love that i think that's a beautiful idea i do want to talk about the last five days that you spent working directly with tom myers um before we do i want to kind of cue this up how did you hear about this opportunity which we'll talk about what exactly you did but when was the first time you heard about this opportunity to do this specific workshop with tom myers the author of anatomy trains well looking back at every experience we have in our lives there is for sure reason that people and things and experience pop up into our life when they're supposed to. And to be honest, I had a very rough September that really shook me up business wise. I don't know if Mercury was in retrograde, which I still guys, I don't know what that means, but she wasn't good to me in September. (laughs) I lost a lot of business, which, you know, when you work for yourself, just down to it, that's, that's a big financial loss. Um, 
and, you know, kind of takes a toll on when I'm not able to help people. I don't know. I'm floating around. I'm this like speck of dust that's just insignificant and unimportant. And I'm not serving my purpose. And that's, you know, a deep rooted piece of baggage I need to unload myself. But I love helping people. And when I can't help people, my mind just runs circles. And I didn't do well in September. And so I couldn't have been in a worse situation to learn about this because, you know, it's not free. So I'm sitting in the grass and under the sun, which is one of my favorite things to do. I'm listening to this podcast, The Body Awake. Shout out to you guys. And I, it was from 2017. And it's this, this episode with Tom Myers. And that's, of course, why I downloaded it is I want to hear everything he's ever said. So I'm hearing it. And they mentioned this five-day cadaver dissection course. And I'm like, what is that? That is bizarre. So I just click on the show note links. And of course, this this episode happened six years ago, nearly. So I look it up and weirdly, there's a course happening. The closest that they happened to me at uh, the Laboratories of Anatomical Enlightenment in Boulder, which is Todd Garcia's lab. So I click on the link and Casey knows me. Once I find something that I want or is like stimulating to my brain, I won't shut up. It's all I can talk about. So he saw my eyes light up and we just both kind of knew logistically like this wasn't great. This wasn't easy, but I need to do this. Um, And yeah, it was a matter of 48 hours, I think. Right. And I, I booked it all. Wow. So say that one more time. Cadaver dissection. Five days of working on people that I will forever be grateful for who decided to donate their bodies to science. It's the University of Utah uh, donor program. And yeah, there were three cadavers and I didn't really understand what it meant when they said untreated. I have a little bit of experience working with uh, cadaver dissection embalmed, but this was, these were frozen and that is as close to in vivo as you can get. Wow. Wow. It's absolutely been amazing to hear um, some of the things you've described from this course. Before we talk about that, I do want to comment on what you said earlier as far as business goes. It is really nice that we have our own business and we do personal training, which is fantastic. We both are very passionate about what we do. But a lot of people don't realize that there is very little security in what we do. And especially with what I see you do with people, you're so good at what you do. Sometimes it doesn't take very many sessions to get somebody out of pain. And essentially, you're getting fired for doing a great job with somebody. I literally just got fired two days ago. I had uh, a a high school volleyball player who had been having to sit out for the first several games of her season. And just like, you know, my work is my passion. She just was feeling terrible and starting to get depressed that she couldn't do what she loved. And luckily, I had a uh, her referred to me by another client whose teenage daughter had had success and you know, one session in and there goes there goes all the calf and foot and ankle pain that she had and like man I should have held back some of my bags <laughs> of tricks there <laughs> congratulations no more clients <laughs> that's awesome what was some of your resistance before you decided to fully sign up and commit to this class you guys full disclosure I can um I can teach Pilates. I can teach people how to strength train. I can even help them heal in some way, but I've never rented a car. (laughs) And just the logistics. I feel a responsibility because my, my clients are my family. They know that their ability to move through life and the way they need to move through life is somewhat dependent on how their body feels. And 
So a full book of business that entire five days had to be canceled and moved and rescheduled. And the drive was going to be an hour and a half each way, morning and night. And it, yeah, it was just not convenient. So the lack of convenience in my routine little life that I get to control was kind of shaken up, which, you know, I think was probably a good thing for me. Yeah, I think so too. I tried my best to goof you up, especially with the rental car, like telling you to go to like the fifth floor of the airport, take the escalator. It's with Alamo, the company, but Alamo's in San Antonio. So you got to take the bus there. You're the worst. worst. (laughs) Make sure you get the roof insurance and and pay extra for the tires. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I'm I'm glad you were able to get through all of that. What was your resistance specifically to the course itself? Besides the logistics and the difficulty of everything, what about like working with bodies that had to be daunting? I would consider myself a sensitive person and I've not experienced before the the death of our cat, Ed, last year. Last year. Last year. I have not been around death and not humans. So the cadaver dissection that I had done a little bit in a University of Minnesota program in high school was with a cat. And this was, I don't know how far gone, but very, very, very embalmed with a lot of formaldehyde. So when the body is treated, whether it's a cat or a human, the tissue is being preserved with a chemical, which really compromises its fluidity, its integrity, its quality. And so I didn't know how I was going to do seeing a person. And I'm a person. And I, I know what I feel. And I know how I use my body to live my life experiences. And that person doesn't get any more. And that's sad. That's, that's the end of something. And it was just altogether something I didn't know how I would handle. And I thought I would be a lot more emotionally impacted by it. Not to say it was a robot and it was cold. It was very touching and very beautiful and an absolutely honoring and humbling experience that, this woman allowed me to have, but yeah, I didn't know what I was going to do. Yeah. Wow. Very interesting. I think both of us also have placed such a very high priority on our daily lifestyles. We have a very specific routine. We're kind of up at the same time. We eat at the same times. Uh, You know, we use the sauna, we get out in the sunshine. How difficult was it to know that you would be going out of your kind of typical day-to-day lifestyle that provides so much stability and health for you? Well, I was in a lab for nine hours a day for five days straight. So this is why we're outside now. (laughs) (laughs) Which, again, I love. This is great. Um, And and also, you went to Denver, and you mentioned driving an hour, hour and a half each way. You had an advantage where going to Denver meant that you could spend some time with your mom and stepdad who live in Evergreen. So, yeah, that was quite a long drive from Evergreen to Boulder and back every single day. But what was it like to spend time with your mom there? It was nice. It was, I knew that I'm an introvert. I don't get recharged by being around people. So by the end of a very cerebral day and physically demanding, not in the fact that I got to lift a single day or got all my steps in, but you're working with tools and instruments that my hands weren't used to standing on hard concrete lab surfaces and thinking really, really hard and focusing really, really hard. So I didn't have a lot of extra energy to give. I tried to get myself out in nature and have some good time with them. But I mean, those were the people outside of my, my fellow lab students that I interacted with. And ever since experiencing this, you can't not look at the human body differently. You have a different relationship with death. You look at the people around you and they just 
feel different, not physically, but their, their energy feels different because you've just spent nine hours a day around a human whose soul isn't in there anymore. And it's, it's, I'm kind of speechless. It's, it's, I don't have words for what that felt like. Mm. Let's talk about those people, the people that came in to do the class with you. How many were there and where did they come from? So all over the place, there were actually a handful that came from San Diego, Tahoe, the furthest came from Wales. Um, He was actually very interesting. Shout out to Andrew if you ever listen to this. But he started working on um, spinal dissections of horses. And he's also a chiropractor for humans. So he had a lot of interest in in the spine and mechanics as far as that goes. Um, But everybody came with a reason. And that's what we started the first day with is after we saw the lab and kind of got the lay of the land and kind of got the shock value out of the way, we all wrote up on a whiteboard our name, our profession, and why we were there, if we had to pick one thing, which, to be honest, of the whole course, that was probably one of the harder things. You assigned everybody one job, and not one person wrote just one thing. Everybody had a list. And uh, the goal of that was to see, okay, well, there's 23 people, including myself, in this room, if we all write something with the pelvis, then we clearly need Tom, Todd, and Thad to know we have an interest in the pelvis. So don't breeze past the pelvis. We need to really dive into that. So I thought that was cool, the the way they kind of started started the course and made sure that it was somewhat tailored to what we were there for. But yeah, acupuncturists, chiropractors, physical therapists, pre-med, some doctors. There was one woman who I just I thought this was super badass. She was an organizational consultant. And she has had so many issues, pelvic related, which then branched into her organs. And it just was her body was shutting down and she was seeking out help from any alternative spatial medicine kind of practitioner that she possibly could. And she just wasn't settling for not knowing. And I thought that was super cool. Wow. She just she showed up. Wow. So there was no like prerequisites. Anybody could have signed up. I could have signed up to do this class. Anybody listening could have signed up to do this class. It wasn't like you had to be in this field. Absolutely. Yeah. It's open to everyone, which is, I think, just so amazing. And so I've not gone through a pre-med course, but Todd Garcia, the master dissector, the owner of this lab, who I was lucky enough to kind of work with side by side throughout the whole thing, he would he would guide everyone through, but you were kind of left to figure things out like on the fly. None of us were going in with a ton of dissection skills. And so you're kind of trying to drink through a fire hose of learning anatomy and learning dissection all at the same time. But obviously he, he knows that we aren't master dissectors alongside him. So yeah, just for the average person, like any, anybody could go and be a part of this. And that was just so cool to me because most of the time in, in a, pre-med course per his description there's tons of med students all gathered around this one person who's been treated with formaldehyde to preserve their body and most of it's very covered up the rest of the body except for the part that's being worked on and everyone's crowding over everyone's shoulders just trying to get a look in here and so the hands-on isn't there but there's also this objectivity that's put between death and the body and us interacting with it just like our culture it's uncomfortable. So let's not talk about it. Let's not think about it. Let's remove ourselves as far as we possibly can from the situation that we don't want to feel. And this couldn't have been more opposite. Mm. 
Very interesting. Before we talk about what you actually did in the course, you've mentioned um, a little bit of, of each one of the three people who are kind of leading the class. But if you don't mind, can you go back and tell us a little bit about each one? Todd, um, Tom, and Thad, I believe. Yeah. So my my knowledge of, of all of their credentials in which they deserve a an introduction that's three times what mine was. Um, Tom is the one of the CEOs, founders of Anatomy Trains, and he had an integral part of, of writing all seven, eight editions of Anatomy Trains. Wow. Um, he also is the head person that will be leading the courses of ATSI, which is Anatomy Trains Structural Integrators. Um, Todd Garcia is a master dissector, has a very close and great relationship with the University of Utah donor program, which allows us to, to do things like this and is the owner of the, the laboratory that we were in in Boulder. He also teaches anatomy, I believe, to pre-med and, and doctorate programs. If you ask him what he does for a living, he says he teaches anatomy. Very humble person, very respectful of the whole situation. That I know the least about, um, but he is the cameraman for all the live streams that you see and is also what I would consider a master dissector. He definitely knew what he was doing in there. Wow. Interesting. So you're heading to your very first day, Monday morning, driving there. It, it, was it, did you have expectations of what was going to happen or what it was going to be like? Or was it such a new and different experience that you really didn't have any kind of preconceived notion of what was about to happen? None. I mean, I'm focused on the task right in front of me, which was like, all right, let's figure out how to get to this place. And so you're just, you're kind of preoccupied with the travel and all of the logistics to get there. And I did not know what to expect, but of course, you know, the inevitable at some point we're going to see people at some point we will be dissecting people. And so that's kind of on the forefront of your brain. But the confusing part to me still after all of this, like hindsight and kind of taking a moment to process it is at no point was I squirmy or squeamish or afraid, which I really would have thought that I would have been because of my lack of exposure to death. And so, yeah, went in blind and I'm, you know, there's no other way to do it, but I'm glad that I didn't have any expectations because it it was all just like jaw to the floor. Wow. And I want to be very respectful at this point and, and ask you questions that, that you can answer respectfully. And I hope I don't overstep uh, my bounds. I am going to just ask you whatever questions come to mind because I find it f- so fascinating. So don't feel like you have to answer every question. But you have mentioned also that these people are extremely respective of the bodies that they're getting. Can you elaborate on that and explain why that was such a high priority? Yeah, it's very important. It's crucial that Todd Garcia maintain a very uh, professional, respectful relationship with the University of Utah donor program. And part of that is these people have most likely had children. They have families. They lived a full life. They were just like me. They were just like you. And they deserve especially for putting themselves into a program like this that allowed us this opportunity they deserve the utmost respect. Any time an incision is being made, any time anything is being touched, looked at, there must be a reason. There must be a a gentleness to anything that you're doing because every single tissue, we're talking the smallest speck to any fluid, to any part of this person goes back with them to the University of Utah to then be cremated and the remains sent to their family. And so when you look at these bodies as we go from skin to bone, 
we we're feeling, we're experiencing, we're watching, we're learning, but it's all done in a way that you would touch your significant other, that you would touch your family, that you would touch your friend. And it's gentle, even the way, you know, obviously to get to certain parts of the anatomy, we would have to, as a group, move our model is what we'll call her face up and face down. And that is done gently. That's done, you know, when we're less put together, when there's more taken out of us, we kind of are, you know, a little bit more flopping around. And so every hand, every shoulder, every head, she was constantly supported. There was no banging and crashing around on the table. There was no hack job with the scalpel. It, it was very, very, very intentional. Interesting. And so you said you had three different bodies. Were there were people separated out? If you had 22, 23 people, were people separated into groups or did you have one body a day and then turn that over? Like, how did that work? So when you first go into the lab, these bodies had been frozen and then in a refrigerator and they're wrapped in plastic wrap that you can somewhat see through and they have an ID number. Um, and the, there's a note from someone at the University of Utah. I don't believe they really explore too much about these models before they allow us to have this learning experience with them. And so maybe they make a quick comment like, okay, well, this lady has a big incision around her knee. So she's got right knee is bad. Or I believe my, my model, her wrapping had bad abs because we could see a big, huge kind of upside down V-shaped scar across her abdomen. So, so based on seeing someone you know nothing about yet through kind of plastic wrapping, you pick like whatever kind of speaks to you. So we weren't assigned anyone. We did not know at that time who Thad, Tom, or, or Todd, who was going to be kind of guiding our seven-person group. But I just, yeah, I energetically kind of radiated towards this woman who, again, we don't want to be far removed from. So we gave them each a name. So we had Joe, we had Mary, and we had my model, Mia. Mm. So those are the names you gave to the bodies? Yes. Wow. What was it like the very first day? I mean, it sounds like you guys didn't really have much of like pleasantries or introductions with each other. Pretty much like you jumped right in. What was it like the first time that you saw a body? It was important to me going into it that I knew I wanted to have some kind of respectful, not even out loud conversation with her, with her family, her loved ones, her, just her physical self. And even though the soul isn't in there, in my belief, you can't separate energy and matter. And so there's, there's this energy and honestly, I felt compassionate. I felt that you can just, you're just seeing before you're doing any dissection, you can see the things she struggled with. You can see the positioning of her pelvis. You can see the positioning of her jaw. You can see where she's scarred. You can see she has a port in her chest. The end of her life, at least the end of her life wasn't easy for her. And I just, I remember holding her hand and feeling, you know, it's cold and lifeless like you would expect, but it looked like my hand. It looked like my mom's hand. It looked like hands of people that I've, I know. And so just to, I wanted it to be really human to human connection the whole time, which again, I think that feels and sounds like creepy for the average person in our Western society, because 
it's more normal to be really removed from it. You're a weirdo if you're wanting to get closer to death. So, yeah, I had a moment with her where I thanked her for what we were going to be able to do and promised her that it would be done with the utmost regard and that she would be taken care of and she would end up right back where her family knew she was supposed to be. Yeah, that's really beautiful. Now, when you first told me about this class, I would have imagined that you would have spent lots of time in discussion, kind of talking about things, discussing maybe even down to not just anatomy, but techniques of how to, you know, dissect a person, how that would work. But it sounds like you guys went right into the lab and just started working. And it wasn't necessarily that people were like showing you everything exactly the way you had to do it, but they were allowing you to just kind of be free with everything that you were doing. Is that correct? Yes. And I mean, I would say two thirds of the group, this wasn't their first, their first go at this, this course. It had been this specific course had actually been pushed back from 2020. So it had continued to be rescheduled through the course of two, almost three years. So they, there were a lot of people highly anticipating it, really excited it was happening. Um, but some of them had had experience with other dissection labs before. So, you know, with the nature of everything, being very respectful and being very purposeful, intentional. We, I watched a lot. I dissected a lot, but I, I watched the way Todd held his hemostat, the way he held his scalpel, the way he brushed. It was honestly one of the more artistic things I've ever seen. It was so detailed and skilled and it was like you were doing something for someone and not to someone if that makes sense. Yeah, that's interesting. So I'm sure I really, are we allowed to swear on our podcast? We can, yeah, absolutely. Okay, well, I probably fucked up a lot of it, <laughs> um, but I never cut to cut. So if I, there was this textbook that Casey was uh, kind enough to purchase for me as a birthday gift, but um, I, you'd refer to Netter. This, this Atlas of Human Anatomy. And if you didn't know the answer, it was your job to go grab Netter, find what you were trying to find, figure out the way the fibers moved, figure it out the direction, location, and your hand was not held through any of it. You you were kind of on your own for, okay, why, why do I want to dissect this part? What am I trying to get to? Because otherwise, if you compromise one thing, because it's attached to everything else, you're going to compromise another system at another time that you might not be able to see yet. So we began with the extremities, the arms and legs are where we started because they have the least amount of thick tissue and hydration, essentially. So they, they were going to dry out the quickest. So we needed to learn what we could learn from our model with those areas first. So that was day one. We began with arms and legs, and it was absolutely fascinating to see how we were all wired. Wow. Wow. What, what things surprised you about the human body? I mean, I guess you see it in, in textbooks that we have all these major veins and arteries and whatnot that have to go from our brain down to our toes. And they do. They really, they really do. We are so much more fascia than what I and most people would have ever realized. And fascia in even though these weren't living organisms, they were as close to that as you can get. Trying to grab at fascia is fluid. It's liquid. It's like trying to grab water. It's gooey. It's a membrane. It's viscous in some areas. It's a sheath. It's 
a whole inner network that once compromised or, or cut into via surgery of any type, it's it's never going to be the same because if we were meant to be cut into, we would have been designed with zippers. So you're affecting something by touching something. Mm. And the way you describe the fascia, I, I always thought of it as a membrane. I, I kind of think of it as like the white of an orange that kind of holds everything together. Is that a fair way to describe it? I'd say kind of like not at all because in an, in an orange, you can take the peel off and then you can take that netting off. And I get why people say that because it's something that someone who's not a body nerd just is trying to conceptualize. So I guess you could use that. But it's this organizational, like if you can picture... A spider web. If you've ever gotten walk through a spider web, you'll try to get that thing off of you for like 12 years. It's it sticks and it's designed by that spider in in matrix that's meant to be braided and tied in together for stability, for support. So it's doing exactly what it's supposed to do. And we have that in every little bit of tissue, but in a more fluid form. And it can tack down, it can stick to things, but it's also we wouldn't be anything without it. Mm. Wow. So interesting. Okay. Energetically, we know that we can run the body on different energy sources. We've got carbohydrates. We also have fat. As you were dissecting the body, what did you learn about our capacity to store fat as, as an energy source? That was really huge and eye-opening that, you know, most of these people... Granted, they all were in different states. We didn't really know what the ends of their lives were like. But for people who haven't eaten in a while and people whose tissues have definitely atrophied, what you would look at and say, wow, that person is rail thin. You get into their tissue and they are adipose. Tons of fat. And in areas that you'd be shocked to even find fat. Like think of the leanest areas of you. You can touch them right now. There's not a whole lot of like give in those areas. Still so much fat. And so I kind of had a different understanding of fat. Excess isn't great for anybody. It's going to, you know, do a whole, create a whole host of issues. However, it's also really responsible for cushioning and the electric, the electricity and, and nervous system communications have to happen through hydrated tissue and so it's it's necessary to some extent but yeah I was you know where it was the it was crazy to me the sole of the foot I don't think you and I have talked about this but once you take back the the epidermis and dermal layers you're into the adipose tissue and I mean no matter what kind of shape you're in right now if you can like feel the bottom of your foot you would say "Mm, like my butt probably has more than that or my tricep is holding on to more than that or my stomach it is so cushioned. It's so cushioned. And when you get underneath that layer and you get through the fascia, which there's not really ever any getting through the fascia because you just keep finding it. It's the gift that keeps giving. But you see all of these different tendons and ligaments and bones, and especially at the heel and the ball of the foot, the places that we would have the most pressure, just covered in yellow. Wow. Just fat. Tons. Wow. Way more than you would ever think. Wow. Which, again, just not that I needed another reason to think we should all be barefoot, but but this is how we were designed, people. You you didn't need to be in your on clouds. You didn't need your hokas. You didn't need your Nike shock absorbers. Your Nike shock absorbers were the fat in your foot. Wow. That is so 
Interesting. I remember. And I just, before we move on from that, the foot is what's striking the ground. So I don't care if you have a knee issue or a hip issue. Maybe it didn't begin at the foot, but your foot is what's translating to the surface that is then moving your knee and your hip or your shoulder all the way up the chain. So I just, I can't ever stress it enough to people the way that you are interacting with the surface underneath you from an electromagnetic pull type of way and just a feedback, just a physical feedback type of way, we know we are meant to shock absorb. And that shock absorption, that elastic recoil, that length or tensegrity, whatever's going on in the biomechanical system, it's being led by the foot. Hmm. Wow. Yeah, that's so fascinating. Um. So, so I, I think back to some of the metabolic tests that you and I both did. And I, I spent a lot of time training other trainers on how to do metabolic tests. And um, you did that as well. And I remember the graph on the report that we would print up, which would show the energy availability of people, what they could actually store for energy and for carbohydrates. It would be about 1,500 to 2,000 calories that you could store. That's it. That's about 500 grams. You only really have about a teaspoon's worth of sugar circulating in your blood at any given time, let alone stored in the muscles and in the liver. But we'd also show how many calories of fat that people could store based on their weight and body fat percentage. And that could be, if you were very, very, very lean, that could still be tens of thousands of calories of fat. And if you had extra fat, that might be a hundred thousand or 200,000 or 300,000 calories of fat available on the body. And so I think it's really cool that you got to see how much fat there really was. And that, that actually surprised you. That definitely surprised me, to be honest. Yeah, it was, I mean, I've looked at my own physical self and the way I'm nourishing myself in a whole different light since seeing that. Yeah. Interesting. What other things did you learn about human movement? The deeper you went into the body, what, what other things did you learn? I, it was system by system, like at first I was like, oh my gosh, the skin. And no, by the way, no one wrote on the board that they were interested in learning about skin, but hey, it's the biggest organ of the body. So we all, all had it on our, uh, in our destiny to learn about. But once you get into the skin, you're like, holy shit, this is so interesting. Then you get a little bit deeper and then you're like, oh my gosh, this is so interesting. So I found myself, you know, very present in what we were currently learning about but as soon as one layer would be taken back, it's like, oh my gosh, the organs. I've never seen the organs before. And then you're getting into the fascia profunda and the aponeurosis. And then you're into the bone and the joints and then the inside of the bone. And so it just is like this Russian stacking doll of like interest after interest. So I, it's a really hard question to answer. I I'm, was equally just amazed by all of it. Mm. Is there as much muscle as we think on the body, um, the way kind of our textbooks show us? No, not at all. And and to be honest, not that muscle doesn't serve a huge purpose in many ways, but it is not the intelligent tissue that we kind of give it credit for. Muscle is kind of like the dumb meat that's on your body. It's it's a contractor. It's It definitely adds something to the mix, but what we give muscle credit for is more fascia. Interesting. And as you were dissecting, were there areas of the body you need to be very careful around? Oh, lots, lots. Especially one of our goals as our group was to try to keep all the major 
veins intact in from the top all the way down. And so we all had to be communicating with each other because two people might be working on the feet and ankles and calves, and the other person might be interested in the shoulder or the forearm and the hand. But ultimately, we're going to meet. We're going to meet in, in a path. And so if we're not all on the same page, if we're not all communicating and really intentional about the way we're dissecting, somebody's going to sever something that is then going to be more or less ruined for the next person down the chain. Mm. I'm so glad they were able to get a bit of video from the dissection that they were doing. And I was able to watch yesterday when you got back uh, a, a portion of the dissection. And it was very interesting. I was able to see um, cutaways of the knee, which I thought was absolutely fascinating. I was able to see the spinal column. I was able to see inside the skull and, and, I wouldn't say it was shocking, but it is very visceral to be that close to a human body and be able to get down to some of those layers and see things in a very different way than than I've ever seen them. Did that affect you as you were doing the course? No, I'm surprisingly not. I mean, just outside of not in a cringy way or I was like, thought this was nauseating or anything. The whole thing was just, I have one of these. Like I have this, it's like reading your own user manual for the first time. Like, to see what my own insides look like. And I just want to note that there are live streams available that Anatomy Trains will host. Casey did not actually watch a dissection. He saw day three of the cadaver that that my group was working on. So they were more or less kind of just pointing things out and showing you the the inner workings of the joints and the things that he mentioned. Um, but if you're like, ooh, this is kind of interesting, but it's either not convenient for you or it's not really up your alley to, to go to one of these, they they do offer live streams that you can be a part of all over the world. Um, what was your question? <laughs> <laughs> just, just how that experience... Um, impacted you like like as you were going deeper and deeper what I, I it's just it's so hard for me to relate since it's not something I've ever done and I assume most of our listeners have never done either like like what was it what was it like to to take in so much information about the human body it's just just incredible of how we can move ourselves without having to tell like you just asked me that question and I'm sitting across from you and your left shoulder shrugged and you talked with your right hand and you just moved it but your brain that you're aware of didn't tell you hey let's shrug this left shoulder let's move my right hand but it happened and so there's this fluid and fiber and this like dance going on in your body and to be honest with you I still don't fully understand how it all can just happen but it just happens and so we take our movement for granted, we take all this intelligence in our system for granted. You can do all the things you need to do in life. You can express, you can connect with me by by using your body to communicate. And you weren't any wiser that you were doing it. Mm. And it moved. Your shoulder shrugged. Do you know how many tissues in your body just had to work in order to make that happen? It's It's amazing. And we're still breathing. And we're still talking. And we're still maintaining homeostasis in life. And that is a gift that we're just literally just placed in this world to have. And we never, most of us never think about it. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's fascinating. I think about one of my favorite parts in one of my favorite books, Go Wild, where they make the point that we have already created computers that can beat us in chess. Like they can outthink us in a game that's based purely on skill 
and is totally equal both ways, but we will never be able to develop a computer or a robot that will be able to articulate and move a chess piece with the ease and grace that a human can do. And you think about some of those movements that we take for granted, the shrugging of the shoulder, walking down the sidewalk, opening a door, like they're so... Those are so complex when you really break them down and think about it, yet we do them without really even having to think about it. Yeah, it's and just kind of putting all that together and what you just said, I don't want to live in a world where that does eventually happen because so much of our movement and facial expression we've adapted through our genetic makeup over time. Like what an, why we have eyebrows, right? So some of that's going to be sweat retention, so it's not getting into the eyes. But the other is when you change the orientation of your eyebrow, it pulls against another tissue that then gives me a different expression that I get to read across your face. And my brain's in taking what your brain is putting out, whether you are intentionally doing it, whether you're thinking about it, but robots, what they're not going to have is the, the type of human intention that we have. And so we're motivated by what we feel, what we need, that's how we connect with each other. That's how we dispute with each other. That's how the greatest wars in the world ever happen. That's how peace ever happened. That's how human life gets created. It's this, it's this dance, this interaction. I don't have a better word for it. This, I think I said to you on the phone, this orchestra, this beautiful symphony that's always happening. And as soon as one person with one instrument starts playing a little bit out of tune or pitch, it throws the entire orchestra off. And, you know, you can just feel that. You can feel when someone's being authentic with you. You can feel based on the tone of their voice. Are they being honest or are they withholding some truth? Are they connecting with us? Are they keeping us at arm's length? You don't have to say that to another human. You feel that. And it's not your brain usually that's telling you in the, in the system what to do. It's all these biomechanical autonomic processes that are just happening. Mm. And that's... Absolutely. I mean, how how do you not think that that's the most incredible thing you've ever heard? Yeah. Yeah, that's amazing. So as the week was kind of winding down, how were you feeling emotionally knowing that this would be kind of the last, you know, day or two that you had left with your person that you were dissecting? There's a huge part of you that's just very cerebr- cerebrally burnt out and you're trying to kind of retain whatever you can. And for me, at least the other elements like the long drive and sleeping in a different bed. And I'm a very routine based person, so I don't thrive with a whole lot of change, but just all of that compounded by the end. I don't know that I could have done another day, but there was also this, I don't know if sadness or maybe it was just me. I tend to like cling to things. I don't love that about myself, but just to, you create, you cannot create this very intimate relationship with this person that you've just worked on, worked with all week. And you get down to the place where you don't have any more that you can do and that you just have to kind of thank her. The job is done. It's complete. It's good. And you're on to your next experience. And for me, I knew that I was going to be sleep deprived. I knew I was going to need some time for all of this to set in. But I also intentionally booked as many clients as I could for the very next day when I when I returned because I wanted to apply and just feel and see and interact with humans in a different way. And I'm glad that I did that. Yeah. How is this how is this week 
going to change the way you work with people? And I will say on like a physical level, like what practical things did you learn about the body that's going to now change your work either as a trainer or as a, you know, a Pilates instructor or as a, a roster practitioner helping people get out of pain? I've been thinking about that a ton, a ton. Like what would I, in, in a synopsis, what would I say to my clients of like, this is how my session is going to be different. And I, I really like, I've been ruminating over that for the last six days and I don't know, I don't know that yet. But what I do know is a lot of questions were answered in a way of, I had to just, you just picture what you've never seen before, right? You've never seen a black dog. You're going to picture what you think a black dog looks like until you've seen a black dog. It's when I can, I can now almost like a little bit of x-ray vision, I guess. I was just watching my own hand, like gripping things after day one. And I could see what that would look like from the inside, not to perfection, not how every fiber crosses over every fiber, but, but the big parts, the way that we're all wired and all that truly has to happen in order for a simple grabbing of something where it was a little bit more mechanical and I was a bit more ignorant to what was happening inside. So if nothing else, it's, I, I don't know, even in my tone of voice, I feel like I'm going slower. I feel like I'm more present, more in the moment, more, I want to help someone out of pain. Yes. I want them to get as much value as they possibly can in a 60 minute session. Yes. But it's becoming more important for me that the questions I have will be answered when I listen, when I slow down, when I feel, because slow is smooth and smooth is fast. No point in rushing to get as many techniques as you can or expecting you or this other person that you've maybe never met before to have this perfect dance with each other where we we get them out of all the pain that they ever have had. But it's, I'm here. I'm I'm like you. I'm with you. You're not in this experience of life and pain and comfort or discomfort alone. We are all stemming from the same type of person. I don't care what size you are. I don't care what color you are. I don't care what your background is. I don't care how you move or how you don't move. We are all very, very similar. And I, I, I feel like that can only help me physically, mentally, and emotionally connect to the people that I'm around in the grocery store, the people I step on, you, everyone. Hmm. Well, that was going to be my next question is not only how is this week going to impact practically your training day to day and your sessions day to day, but how is it going to impact you as a human? What do you want to take from this experience and put into your life, whether you're working on somebody or not, just kind of like the day to day? I think this is a really good time. I told Casey before we started this, it was something that I read to him that my biggest takeaway is nothing is permanent. And there was this quote by Jeff Foster that I'm about to read for you that brought Casey to tears. It made me choke up. It, it's one of those that it's it's a not a one-liner, but it's one that will really hit you right in the feels. So if you're in an opportunity, if you're listening to this, if we get any listeners, that's not like me and you and my mom. Um, <laughs> if you're listening to this and you have an opportunity to just kind of pause what you're doing for a moment, I would really love for this to sink, sink in for you because it really did a lot for me. So this is called, You Will Lose Everything. You will lose everything. 
your money, your power, your fame, your success, perhaps even your memories. Your looks will go. Loved ones will die. Your body will fall apart. Everything that seems permanent is impermanent and will be smashed. Experience will gradually, or not so gradually, strip away everything that it can strip away. Waking up means facing this reality with open eyes and no longer turning away. But right now, we stand on sacred and holy ground, for that which will be lost has not yet been lost, and realizing this is the key to unspeakable joy. Whoever or whatever is in your life right now has not yet been taken away from you. This may sound trivial, obvious, like nothing, but really, it is the key to everything. The why and how and wherefore of existence. Impermanence has already rendered everything and everyone around you so deeply holy and significant and worthy of your heartbreaking gratitude. Loss has already transfigured your life into an altar. Mm. So the things that you care about right now, the things that feel heavy and unchangeable, the areas in which you feel stuck in your life or emotionally or mentally, it's very hard, and I will mess this up time and time and time again. I'll forget and remember and forget and remember Whatever it is you're going through, it's not going to be forever. And some things you're like, well, great. I don't think I could have taken another day of that. And some things you're going to cling to. But we don't own any of this. We're just here right now. And we're incredibly more fortunate to be here right now in this vessel to experience this magnitude of brilliance that is life. And we're, we're just fortunate to have it. So don't hold on to it tighter, but just notice it. Because as soon as you notice it, that moment's gone. And then that one's gone. And for me, I, I've always struggled with meditation. I've struggled with being present in things. I've wanted to soak up all the good and push away all the bad. And that's not life. And when you can realize that nothing is permanent and you will lose everything, including yourself. You just get to enjoy being here. Mm. It's really eloquent, babe. I'm glad that was recorded because I don't know that I'll ever have a stroke of genius like that again. That was amazing. Well, I think one of our mutually kind of favorite books and a former, uh, that was written by a former podcast guest, Oliver Berkman, who writes the book 4,000 Weeks. 4,000 Weeks is about an average lifespan that you get. It's about 78 years. And even then, you're not guaranteed that much time on the planet to begin with. And the whole idea is like, it's, it's horrific to think that, yeah, like <laughs> mine's already halfway up <laughs> my, my 4,000 weeks. I've already lived 2000 of them, but also to think like that, that that's also a, an empowering and a freeing thing to know that you don't need to think you have to conquer the world. Nobody's going to remember you in 50 years, a hundred years. You can just go out and appreciate life and make a small impact with the people that you get to work with. And that's enough. And you can be okay with that, with, with that being enough. Would, would you agree with that? Yeah, and it was very, like, an interesting, you know, we're in the fitness industry, so we're in this kind of sample size of the world where it's important 
for us to have physical health, right? It's important to some extent. And I'll be honest, like there's a huge vanity. There's a huge ego part where if I don't look the role, you're not going to hire me. Why would you trust me with your health if I don't have mine taken care of? But, and I'm not saying just like, let's all say fuck it and open the pint of Ben and Jerry's. For some people, they're going to say, you know what? My foot that's been on the gas in all these areas of trying to be CEO of this company or trying to be the perfect wife or husband or friend, the person who's striving to have the best body or someone who's just trying to to start reigning in their diet. We all are going to look like the same person from the inside when we're gone. We're all going to end at some point. But your choice is, are you just going to say, screw it and I'm going to eat however I want to eat and I'm not going to move because that's what feels good to me. Awesome. If that's what feels good to you, by all means, you you live your best life. However, the way it really made me think about it is, Bethany, let's not punish our body with with hard workouts. Let's not restrict ourselves from experiences. But the flip side of that for me is why would I choose to self-harm or not support my system by consuming foods that make me feel good, by doing regular movement that keeps my pain away, by going to bed early so that I get the best sleep. And we're not all in the same situation, so please don't think I'm trying to give you unsolicited advice in any way. But lean into what really fuels my soul. Not anybody else, not what society or Instagram or whoever, even your trainer is telling you, what feels good to you? What allows you to get the absolute most out of this experience while you're here? Because again, I'll I'll say it again, you're going to be sick of hearing it. The, The beauty of getting poof, just like this, this body that you just, it's like getting a free car. And you get to go drive around and do whatever you want to do in it. And that's up to you. It's up to you. But enjoy it while you have it. Because there will be a time in your life, in all of our lives, including myself, that we will look back with some amount of regret over something. And I think the sooner, the key of life is the sooner you are on to this. The sooner you can realize this, the more you get to absorb out of it. Mm. And if you go along your life resisting and not applying yourself to the full capacity that you know you can, again, depending on who you are, whatever that looks like for you, your full capacity, don't settle for 70%. Be here, enjoy it, notice it, and do what allows you to have a 100% experience. Wow. I love that. Of all the uh, training certifications and workshops and programs you've done in the past, this one has seemed by far the most impactful. And I really feel like you are coming home from this a completely different person than when you left. Would you agree with that? I hope so. Even without an experience like this, I want to be, I don't know how you qualify better, but I think what I don't want out of life has become very clear. And that is to just go along knowing the more you know the less you know i think at one point we knew the earth was flat we knew that we could never go to space we knew that 
there's no way that we are ever going to be able to go from one end of the country to the other. There's no way we can cross oceans and seas to get to other places. And what we once knew is not true. It's not, it's not a thing anymore. So to box yourself into the things that you know right now, you'd be doing yourself a disservice. I plan to keep the most open mind that I possibly can because that's going to allow me to realize, just like a true scientist, what, where are my gaps in my understanding? Well, if I knew this and this was concrete and this for sure was the case, well, now, but this isn't making so much sense. There's, there's got to be more potential and opportunity in this. It's a big, it's a big web. It's a big domino effect. So I, I just think that for me personally, I will be more open to all the experiences that life has to give me when I don't make everything so black and white. Mm. Wow. Is there anything I missed? Is there anything I didn't ask you or anything you want to comment on that you haven't been able to? I mean, as soon as we stop recording, I'm probably going to think of a thousand things, but yeah, it was just a really incredible experience. I just would encourage anybody, no matter what field you're in, if nothing else, if you don't do an experience like this, I'd find a way somehow to open your mind and your heart and your soul to being more comfortable with just the the fact of losing everything, of the impermanence of everything, of death, of not to tell you you have to start going to random people's open casket funerals just to get yourself exposed, but it's not scary. And the more you know about it, granted, we'll never know what's on the other side for our souls. It's something that we all are going to go through. And I think those like collective human experiences that we all go through together, there's a reason that we do and we're here as a community and we were humans in a community for all of time to support each other, to be there with each other. And I thought it would be kind of the situation where, oh my gosh, once I've experienced death or once I've been around a dead body, I'm going to hug Casey tighter because he's still alive, but that's clinging. It's more of, I know this is our eventual fate. So really like how important is it that that person in front of you is driving slow? Mm. How important is it that the thing that you thought was supposed to work out for you that you worked so hard for that you deserve isn't working out. You don't know what's next and you don't know if it's your last few breaths. Well, what a beautiful experience that you've had. And I'm so grateful for you that you were able to take some time out of your day on a beautiful sunny day to chat about it. I think this would be great once it's recorded um, and, and be able to share with people that experience and to hopefully help people walk away from this conversation with that sentiment of, of, you know, how beautiful life is, how precious a gift life is, and more so than how, you know, amazing and beautiful the human body is, but also the idea that, that, yeah, this is finite, this will end at some point. And so to really appreciate the experience and be able to treat your body the best way possible throughout life is, is really such an amazing takeaway. Bethany, it's, it's just so awesome to talk to you. I'm so proud of you and who you become and all the things you gravitate towards. I think, I think most of our clients would be surprised if they really truly knew how much we talk about them, how much we care about them. Um, you know, every single day you and I meet up in the afternoon and we talk about every single one of our people. And again, you having 
a, a somewhat difficult experience and not the most ideal time in your month to take time away to take money to invest in yourself, I think is really amazing. And I am just so proud of you. So thank you so very much for sitting down for this conversation. Where would you like people to go to find you and connect with you and your work? I am most active on two platforms so you can find me on facebook under bethany elise ruff or you can find me on instagram where i'll share a lot of different kind of body work stuff you can see some more snapshots of my roster clients and some fun fitness videos and that is under bethany boundless body excellent we will link to all of that in the show notes we did have several listener questions i just want to ask um one of them at the very end what is it like to work with such a dashingly uh, handsome wonderful co-worker uh, in your company at Balmas Body. I'm wondering who is asking this question. <laughs> listeners. This the source? Listeners. Yeah. It's it, a lot of people have asked. A true pride and joy. That is what it's like. <laughs> a true pleasure. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> Good answer. Well, thank you so very much again for taking time. Don't tell my husband. <laughs> <laughs> I won't let him know. Uh, thank you for taking time to um, have this conversation. I'm so glad that we were able to record this and share your wonderful experience. And yeah, we're just so grateful for you and so proud of you and your work. So thank you so very much. Bethany. I absolutely love you and I'm so grateful for you and and for you to take the time to be on the show today. We really appreciate you. I love you back. (laughs) I love you back. And this has been another episode of Boundless Body Radio. As always, thank you so very much for listening to and supporting Boundless Body Radio. It has been such a joy to go on this journey now that it's been two years of doing these episodes and all the amazing conversations that we've had with thought leaders and to be able to share this message around the world with literally hundreds of thousands of people has been so amazing. If you haven't already, please go over to Apple, leave us a rating and review as it's the best way for the show to continue to grow and touch more lives of people out there. I am so excited to announce that we are launching the Boundless Body Radio Premium Podcast. This is something that I have been working really hard at for a very long time and something I am very proud of. Now that we have done over 300 episodes, our content can be a little bit overwhelming if you really want to learn about one particular topic and really zero in on that topic. So that is exactly what I have done. I have gone through all of our episodes, taken the very best clips all about one particular topic and put them into long form very informative and concise episodes called the Boundless Body Radio Premium Podcast. That can be found on our brand new Patreon page, which I'm really excited to announce as we have all kinds of different offers there and different tiers. We're including early releases of our show, Boundless Body Radio. We typically keep about 15 to 20 episodes scheduled at any given time. So we have options there where you can have early access to those. We're also offering group and one-on-one coaching and also access to these premium podcast episodes, the Balanced Body Radio Premium Podcast. We have three that are launching right now, and I will be making a new one every other week. And we believe that we are providing these for a very, very high value. So please check us out on Patreon, check the link in the notes to be able to get there. And thank you as always for listening to Boundless Body Radio.